April 20th, 2021, a day English football took over the headlines. There's gathering in numbers here in West London, as you can see. Chelsea fans are blocking traffic outside their home stadium, protesting against the formation of a new European Super League. A sleeping anger has been awoken in English football. The ill-fated European Super League has started a fire, and it's ripping through the game. The Super League was a money grab, a way for a handful of wealthy, often foreign club owners to lock in profits. On paper, it may have made sense, but fans hated it, and they mobilized, and they directed their white-hot anger at the money men at the top. Like these Arsenal fans calling for their American owner to sell the club. They want more and more money. It's a business to them and they don't really care about the fans unless they're made to. Football's for the fans. It's not for these, these Super League owners. Former England international Gary Neville didn't hold back. I'm disgusted, absolutely disgusted. It's pure greed. They're imposters. Even actor-comedian James Corden was enraged. I'm heartbroken because the owners of these teams have displayed the worst kind of greed I've ever seen in sport. They just care about money. They don't care about fans. Liverpool Football Club is in the wrong hands. The Super League project, which was years in the making, collapsed within two days. It's all over. It's all over. But it really touched a nerve and exposed what many fans feel is a rotten system. A system where the fans are left behind and those with money can break all the rules. For the better part of two years, we've been investigating how clubs are really bought and sold. We've gone undercover into the dark corners of finance and offshore tax havens, and what we've discovered is a shadowy network of enablers who know exactly how to beat the system. So we were monitoring what the Football League was saying behind the scene. They didn't know this, of course. And how to crush their opponents by any means necessary. Banks, credit cards, lifestyle. Have they got a mistress? Is there anything that we could damage their reputation with? This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. And I'm David Harrison, an investigative reporter with Al Jazeera's iUnit. This is part one of a three-part series that we're calling The Men Who Sell Football. We're going to tell you about a weak enforcement system that's being exploited by unscrupulous and unsuitable buyers. If you're an Aston Villa fan, you'll know this name, Tony Shaw. The Chinese national bought the club back in 2016. He's now in custody in China, pending a police investigation. And his tumultuous tenure put the club at great risk. Yes, it was the Tony Shaw story that got us started. Kevin, I know you're a Chelsea fan and I'm a lifelong Liverpool fan. But our producer on this story, Jason Gwynn, is a big Aston Villa fan. Now, we were talking about Tony Shah's disastrous spell at Aston Villa in the office one day, and it got us wondering, how did this man manage to buy a major English football club? Now, this was before Tony Shah was arrested, and we don't know the outcome of his case yet. 
but we found out that the middleman who set up the deal for Shah to buy Aston Villa had links to oligarchs and had been investigated for money laundering in several countries, including the United States. That's when the light bulb went off. Why not find out for ourselves? Let's see what happens if a criminal tries to buy a football club and use it as a vehicle to launder money. So here's what we did. We set up a fake company with two undercover journalists representing three anonymous, wealthy Chinese buyers who want to buy a club. And we contacted the same man who set up the Aston Villa deal. Hi, Mr. Samuel. Hi, Menji. How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. A man called Christopher Samuelson. Our undercover reporters, Billy and his assistant Angie, not their real names, are representing three Chinese businessmen who want to buy an English football club, preferably a second-tier club with potential to reach the lucrative Premier League. We've distorted their voices, by the way. The main investor we're calling Mr. X. Of course, Mr. X isn't real. We made him up. And Billy and Angie are working for the I-Unit. The three of them first meet up in 2019 at a hotel in London. Bobby Moore was captain of England, won the World Cup, captain of West Ham, famous, famous figure. And this is 1982. Christopher Samuelson is well known in this industry and has been doing club ownership deals for decades. In a series of secretly recorded conversations, he talks about all manner of things related to football. Here he is talking about how he says he got his start, brokering a deal for Bobby Moore to buy Chelsea. Bobby called me one day and he said, Chris, um, look, we can buy Chelsea Football Club. We, we negotiated, we agreed to buy Chelsea for £800,000, 1982. But the problem was the access to the ground. So we didn't do it. Now, this access to the ground is a crucial sticking point in many football deals. The stadiums are a huge source of revenue, but purchasing them outright often requires a separate negotiation that navigates local politics and land use restrictions. Now, in addition to being an enthusiastic storyteller, Samuelson is also a global wealth manager who got involved in football after setting up a sponsorship company. He's one of those behind-the-scenes guys, and we're told he's the guy to see if you have a high-net-worth client who's looking to buy. And Mr. X is both of those. But there's a catch. So, you got some issues in China? Billy gets Samuelson up to speed on Mr. X's complicated personal history. First off, he's extremely wealthy. But, and this is a big but, he had to flee China because he got rich illegally. And his money was dirty. He escaped to back to Hong Kong. Yeah. Safely. Okay, the usual rubbish. I'm used to it. I mean, I'm in the real world. I can't understand all this. It's not your everyday rubbish we're talking about here. Our undercover reporters were very clear about Mr X's troubles, that he was charged with bribing government officials and money laundering. We told Samuelson that Mr X was given a seven-year sentence in absentia, but managed to smuggle his money out from China via Macau casinos. Now, this is a big moment in the investigation. There are explicit rules regarding criminals owning football clubs in the UK. And since Mr X's wealth is the proceeds of crime, then the football club he buys would become a vehicle for money laundering. Now, we didn't know how Samuelson was going to react. There was a very good chance that this would be over before it even got started. I can do all that 
But we'll have no trouble with any of it. And now, we're in business. Our undercover reporters have just told this middleman, this broker, Christopher Samuelson, two important things. Their client, Mr X, wants to buy an English football club. And that he's a criminal whose funds are dirty. Samuelson didn't even blink. If he wants help with moving assets and he wants secure locations, I can do that too. Samuelson says he has a close relationship with banks in Liechtenstein and offers a range of services that go far beyond just brokering a deal. This was extraordinary to us, and Ben Cowdock of Transparency International thought so too. So we have a sort of bombshell here that the prospective owner has paid money to public officials or in any other terms bribe public officials, which is obviously a criminal offence around the world, both in China and the UK. Now, as a, a professional company information agent, that should be the end of the conversation rather than the beginning of the conversation and should lead to that reporting to the police that is under UK law in the Proceeds of Crime Act. A quick word now on the rules of the game. The governing body for a purchase of a club in the championship that's English football's second tier, is the English Football League, or EFL. The EFL makes it extremely clear that wanted criminals are not allowed to own teams. There's something called the Owners and Directors Test. To pass the test, you must prove two things. That the buyer has no unspent criminal convictions, and that the buyer has enough money to run the team for two years. There are also steps in place to prevent owners from laundering money through their clubs. The EFL can require prospective buyers to provide evidence of the ultimate source and sufficiency of funds to be used to buy or invest in a club. So the EFL has its regulations. I guess Mr. X is out of luck. I can pressure the football league. Don't worry about it. It'll be improved. I'll come with an idea. Um, how we can structure it so we defeat the EFL. Who wants me? I'll hold a gun to their head. Samuelson just said he will defeat the EFL. I think it's fair to say he doesn't seem all that concerned about the league's enforcement mechanisms. And if we have to threaten them with, with a legal action, watch them fall over. Samuelson says he has a team he works with on these deals and that they easily stay one step ahead of the regulators. Sometimes they appoint one of these um, investigating firms uh, to do a report. If they appoint somebody, we'll know which one is doing it. Then we'll deal with them. Samuelson offers up his business partner, Andrew Obolensky. He's the chartered accountant and the, com- and the commercial banker by background. He's, a, he's the best chartered accountant I know. He's extremely discreet. The main thing is, do you have the money? And the fact it's sitting in, in Christian Hook's law firm trust account is a huge effect on them. Christian Hook is a partner at a London-based law firm, Gunnar Cook. And he handled for us the legal work on Aston Villa, on Reading. Um, he's, uh, he, he's done it on about five clubs, actually. But those are the two I got him to do. Um, I know him very well. He's very efficient. He's very discreet, no leaks. We never had a leak. 
and he knows the football. Christian knows it backwards. OK, so Samuelson has established that he can get around the rules. Now it's time to talk brass tacks. First things first, his end. We charge 3% on the value of when, we, when we're doing buying, a, buying or selling a club. 3%. There are additional fees for his team members as well, and Samuelson would also become a director of the club. OK, so our undercover reporters agree to his terms, but a big question remains. What team do you want to buy? If you wanted to buy a top six club, there's two you could buy today. Roman Abramovich will sell, but he wants three billion, maybe 2.8. But you've got to deal with the stadium issue because to get the revenues to go further up, you've got to solve that side too. Chelsea is tricky because its stadium, Stamford Bridge, is owned by a separate nonprofit. I mean, Tottenham, we can buy Tottenham, but it's two billion pounds. Okay? Two billion pounds. Two billion. And I know Daniel Levy, the chairman of Tottenham, very well, and, and Joe Lewis, who's the other major shareholder. Well, he's Joe's the biggest shareholder. Two billion pounds for a top Premier League team is well beyond Mr. X's budget. He gave me a, a, a number. Let's look at the. Uh, 100 million to 150 million. And then maybe another 100 million for the off the cost. Okay. Mr. X wants a so-called sleeping giant, a once great team with a big fan base, perhaps a club in the championship that can come storming back to the first flight Premier League with a little new investment. So Leeds is a, is a good club. Another one is Millwall. But Millwall belongs to, to, um, to a guy called John Bellson, who I know well, he's American. He bought it off a map. He didn't go to see it. Then you've got a club like Derby County, which Mel Morris owns. Mel has, has invested so far £160 million in Derby County. Derby County, which is also in the championship, seemed like a perfect choice. A relatively new stadium with a loyal fan base. Some history of success, twice champions of England in the 1970s, and an owner who knows Samuelson. Well, after the meeting, Samuelson goes away to talk to Mel Morris, who, by the way, made his fortune investing in the company that makes the video game, Candy Crush. This is Samuelson's first real test. His chance to prove to our undercover reporter, Billy, that he isn't all talk. I was with Mel yesterday. He, he's uh, appointed me to sell the club. Now things start to move quickly. Samuelson presents Billy with an acquisition plan and funding requirements. He tells him that Mel Morris is willing to do one of two deals. One deal is 100% 50 million, debt-free, but he owns the stadium separately. Like Chelsea, the Derby Stadium is owned by a separate entity, but Samuelson says it won't be an issue. The second option is for Mr. X to buy the stadium as well. The stadium, I think he paid 29 million for it. You could buy them, we can buy the stadium too, separately, but it's a separate deal. Samuelson says it'll take about 100 million pounds, or 130 million dollars at that time, to get the deal done. The next thing we know, our undercover reporters are on their way to Derby to meet Mel Morris. Welcome to Derby. Yeah, welcome to Derby. 
We arrived on a bit of a mad morning. It was the day that Darby's manager and former England international Frank Lampard left Darby for his former club, Chelsea. The email you, uh, you sent to me, for, you said the uh, male originally planned to uh, have our meeting between us and the Frank Lampard. Well, we did make Frank Lampard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we thought how to say he would definitely stay because that, that's what smell for. Yeah, yeah. It, it's disappointing that he's not there. But it's all smiles when Morris shows up. So, good morning. Good morning. morning. Mel Morris, please. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hanji, nice to meet you. Let's have a walk around. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mel Morris shows them around. He's pumped millions of his own money into stadium upgrades. The stadium itself, 33,500 people capacity. We also spent a lot of money in the last two, three years in upgrading the stadium. So you have your executive boxes here? Yes, sir. But all that spending has caused trouble for him in the league office. Morris used a company he owned to buy Darby's stadium, effectively buying it from himself. He paid the equivalent of $104 million when the club had listed the stadium to be worth $53 million, in effect, gifting the club $50 million. Financial fair play rules exist to make sure an owner just can't pour his money into a club to buy success. It's a bit like the salary cap in the NFL. It's meant to keep the league competitive. The EFL charged Morris with breaching financial fair play rules, but a disciplinary tribunal later cleared him. However, a second FFP charge was later upheld. Yeah, now Morris was born and raised in Derby, so it must have been a dream to buy the club. In England, it's totally, totally about community and the, the whole heart of what's happening in a city. But Morris wants to move on. He finally makes our undercover team an offer which includes that he stay on as a minority shareholder so that he can write off his loans over a number of seasons in order to once again circumvent FFP regulations. How much loans do you have in, in the club at the moment? About 140 million. Yeah. But, but to you, it's irrelevant. Mm. You're not going to have to pay that. But if we write it off at the time of the transaction, the club gets no benefit on the financial fair play regulations to do it, which is something we, we, we must not commit in writing, but it's important, is that when we look at the structure of it, from the Football League's perspective, mm. I'm no longer a connected party to the football club. I'm a minority shareholder. So, as a minority shareholder, FFP rules would not apply to his funds. But any time you hear, we can't put this in writing, it sets off alarm bells. So we asked football finance specialist Kieran Maguire for his take on what's going on here. Mel Morris's proposals do not break the letter of the law from my analysis. It certainly breaks the spirit of the law. The proposals by Mel Morris will certainly give Derby County, under the new ownership, a financial advantage against other clubs in a similar position. Is that an unfair advantage? I think that would be for the EFL to monitor and to choose whether or not to have charges against the club. Johnny, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Soon after our visit, Billy told Samuelson that Mr. X was pulling out of the Derby deal, careful to make sure that we didn't prevent a legitimate buyer from coming in. But even that didn't deter Samuelson, 
who kept trying to persuade Billy to buy the club. So just who is Christopher Samuelson? We're about to find out a lot more. That guy's like a sort of secret master of the universe. And a money man with, as it turns out, some very notorious characters in his circle, including a former police officer. We've also discovered new details about one of England's oldest clubs, that... I'm sure Aston Villa fans will be absolutely staggered to hear. That's next in part two of The Men Who Sell Football, so keep listening. Al Jazeera contacted all those involved in this investigation. Samuelson's lawyers say that he had not been informed of Mr. X's criminal convictions. Had he known, he would have ended discussions immediately. Mel Morris and Darby County didn't respond to the issue of financial fair play rules, but they say the club would only be sold to, quote, appropriate custodians. Andrew Abelensky tells us that he never had any dealings with anyone resembling Mr. X and that he is not Samuelson's business partner. Christian Hook and Gunnar Cook say they comply strictly with all legal and regulatory obligations at all times. Our investigation uncovered no evidence to suggest otherwise. Millwall owner John Barrelson told us that Samuelson's comments about his purchase of the club were wrong and that he made a series of investments before taking control. And finally, Roman Abramovich's lawyers tell us that Chelsea is not for sale. This episode was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, with help from David Harrison and Jason Gwynn. Craig Pennington is our audio editor. Clean Cuts did the final sound mix. Joe DeFrias is the show's executive producer. And Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.